Hey. 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 You are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. My name is Brian Schreiber, and I'm the lead minister here at the church. If I've not met you, right after we get done with the service, I'd love to meet every one of you. If you're new, I'll stay right up front here so that you can find where I'm at. And I'd love to meet you and uh, find out who you are and how you came about finding us. We are in a series in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, learning about 700 years beforehand of Jesus' coming. And today we're looking at one of the words that we could call Jesus, and that is everlasting father. And so as an everlasting father, I have to tell you, I have to start with some dad jokes if I can. So, um, and you have your own. Here's just a few dad jokes. I'm not here to say that the best, but dad jokes are not supposed to be. So, here's the first one. What do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? They are both Paris sites. Uh-huh. How do you follow Will Smith in the snow? You follow the fresh prince. I know. It's okay. I, I'm not hurt. Last one. <laughs> you guys are so funny. You're like groaning. I love it. Um, there's one more here. How does, how does dry skin affect you at work? You don't have any elbow grease to put into it. Oh, I know. Not my dad jokes. But we have dads in our life. And here's the thing about dads. And I know this, I mean, here we are, Christmas Eve, and we're here talking about an everlasting father. And I know some of you in the room have some incredible memories of a great dad in your life, wonderful memories of childhood fathers. But I know for others, perhaps the majority in this room at times, depends on how we talk and how we feel, fatherhood is sometimes a painful thought for you. But then there's other group of people uh, who dad, it wasn't good news or bad news for them. It's just they were gone. They weren't present in their life. But I want you to know there's good news today in the gospel that Christ Jesus helps you to know God as father. And not just as a father, but as your father. One who's always there for you. One who has you in the palm of his hands. Who will never let you go. In fact, it's a distinct privilege and a distinct mark of every believer in Christ to know God as everlasting Father. It's at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to read about it, if we can, in this text today from Isaiah chapter 9. We've been reading this text every, every week. We'll read it again next Sunday as we come to the close of this series where we call him Emmanuel. But we're going to read this text one more time. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says in verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. People walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy and rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, 
You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over the kingdom and everything upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God's written word in our life speaks to us one more time on the calling that we need to have. And he called, we're supposed to call on him on different kinds of things. So we have kind of a phone idea that we're calling him. What do we call him? We call him wonderful counselor. We call him mighty God. And today we call him everlasting father. Tonight we're going to call him prince of peace. I don't know about you, but who needs to get in line for peace? I mean, if I had a table in the foyer and said, you could go get some peace real quick, just go sign up. Who wouldn't be there? Who wouldn't want it? But here we learn uh, some traits, some characteristics of Jesus. And Jesus is the father of what lasts forever. Now, we have this name, Everlasting Father. And it seems like a strange name for a savior named Jesus, who is, as we've been calling him, the son of God. How can the son of God be given the name Everlasting Father? Well, some would say, well, it's a three-in-one thing. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But it's still kind of confusing. Like, why don't we call the Everlasting Spirit? We call him the Everlasting Father. Originally, Everlasting Father was, when it was written in Hebrew, was intended to be understood in a slightly different way and interpreted according to our own culture. In Hebrew, Everlasting Father is Abidad. Abidad. And again, ah, it's like, if we say Abba Father, we've got that Abidad. Abed, uh, which is in interest to us, the only time this name is ever used in Scripture. Everlasting Father is not used anywhere else except here. It's unique. It's one of a kind. It's a complete descriptive word. But let's look at the word Father for a moment that's describing uh, who it is we're talking in Jesus. Our Father here doesn't translate to like a Father we should think of, like a protector, a provider, the lawn mowing expert, you know, that he is. Instead, the word means Father, means chief or principal, or owner, or ruler, or master. And so the word father here is less a dad and more uh, a call of the father of. And we think of it this way. We have this song, song, we have this word of Abraham, what we call him Father Abraham. We put a little song to it. He had many sons, and, and we all act like this, you know, whenever we do Father Abraham. Father Abraham was the father of many nations. Just so, I, just so you know, Abraham was not my dad but we call him the father of many. We have George Washington, kind of fits in the same deal. Father of our country. I want you to know, George Washington is not my father. I want to clear that up right here and now. He's the father of the country, the birthing of a nation, the idea, the concept behind it. And so the idea in Hebrew here for the father means the forefather of the father, the father of something. What is the father of? He's the father of everlasting. Of anything that's everlasting, Jesus is the father of that. Uh, old school wise, if I can go back to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory for just a second. You remember that little thing that he was going to try to market? The everlasting gobstopper. You remember that? 
of the everlasting gobstopper. You could suck on it and suck on it, and you would never lose its flavor. Jesus is everlasting. He's the father of everlasting things, and things are now lasting forever because Jesus came on the scene. What we used to have, would, it would be over, but now we have an everlasting father. It means we'll always have one. And he puts it that way because he's the owner of everything that lasts forever. But what does this father do for his children? What, what is that, how does it happen? What are some characteristics of this father we're to call on? Well, this Jesus everlasting father that we're talking about, one is that he forgives. And we find out about how much he forgives in lots of places in Scripture, but I'm going to turn to Psalm chapter 130, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses of Psalm, I'm sorry, 103, not 130. Psalm 103, the first 10 verses, read like this. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he starts to click the benefits. Who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that the youth is, re is renewed like the eagles. The Lord's work works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to, to Moses, his deeds of the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. And then verse 10 says this, he, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I don't know if there's anybody in the house who has an amen for verse 10 but me. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. In this text, we find out all these other pieces of what this father does for his children besides forgiving. But forgiving is something that David understood, that Moses understood, and that we as humans understand. Our heart and soul needs forgiveness, and we need an everlasting father who will everlastingly forgive. He'll everlastingly forgive. But then we also see in this traits that are said in Psalm chapter 103 that he redeems. Redeems a, a word that we don't use all the time. We used to use it with like stamps that we put in a book. We don't do that much anymore. So redeem is not a word we say all the time. But the word redeem actually means release or to purge. My favorite version, my favorite definition of redeem is this one. And it's just the junior high in me. Plucks out. I just like saying it. Plucks out. It's just a cool statement. Let me tell you about plucking out and redemption. I work with wood. That doesn't mean I'm any good with it. It just means I handle it a lot. I cut a lot of wood, split a lot of wood, and then I make things out of wood, which means I have sawdust everywhere all the time. I'm blowing it off, cleaning it off, sweeping it up all the time. But when I do all of that and the wind blows or a piece of that sawdust comes from one of the blades I'm cutting from and it goes in my eye because I wasn't wearing the stuff I'm supposed to wear. Thank you very much, OSHA in the room who came up. You know, you can wear goggles, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. But every once in a while, the dust just floats in my eye. And when it happens that when I have a piece of sawdust in my eye, game over. Stop everything that we're doing. I cannot do anything else until what feels like a stone in my eye comes out. And so we're wash and clean and wash and clean. And then when I get one in my hand, same deal. Splinter goes in my hand, life over, game over. It hurts to grab anything anymore. That splinter needs to come out. And so you start to pluck it out. You start to get it out. And when you get it out, a whole celebration starts to happen. It's just, oh, <laughs> this tiny little thing is driving me crazy. But I've been redeemed. It was plucked out. I love that idea. When it's finally removed, 
Isaiah 54, which we spend a lot of time in Isaiah, if you're new with us. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 8 says, In the surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. We also find in this text that we find out that, that our, our, our everlasting Father is a healer, that He heals. And I really like the word mends better than healing because healing is one of those things like we think we just over time, but he mends it. The, the word Hebrew in mending is, is a mending of our soul. It's like the potter that takes the clay and he puts it back on the wheel again and he spins it again and he reshapes it and make it anew. If he messes up, he brings it back and he, he does it again. And of course, that's a great physical picture, but I want you to know he's mending your spiritual life as well. He's mending your emotions. That he can mend your marriage. He can mend relationships that you have that are bad with one another. He can mend your mind. He can mend you completely. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 26 says it this way. The moon will shine like the sun and the sunlight will be seven times brighter. Like the light of seven full days when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he's afflicted. Binding up is that whole wrapping, that whole bandaging moment that we need to have by the Lord God. Our everlasting father also has this idea about him, and that is he crowns. Now, when we think of his key crowns, we typically think of what goes on top of our head, like a, we put a crown on top of our head. But this word actually means surrounds. And when we think of being crowned and surrounding, it totally changes the game plan every time we sing or say that word. Like when we sing crown him with many crowns, it's the surrounding of who God is. And he, we are surrounded by mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and blessings and peace. What a mighty God we serve that he's willing to crown us this way. What child doesn't want to feel surrounded and feel like they're being crowned by a forever father? We also find in this text, though, that our father satisfies that life can only find its fullest meaning in him because without him, it's just not the same. It satisfies the empty place that only his presence can fill and you try to fill up your life full of the things that you think you're hungry for in life, and it's just not satisfying. Maybe after we get done opening all our gifts tomorrow, we're kind of somewhat satisfied, but we're not completely satisfied. Will we ever truly be satisfied? Only an everlasting father can do that. And when Jesus is mentioned as everlasting father, part of the bigger meaning is the title that rests is that he satisfies your soul. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 20 says, your sun will never set again and your moon will never wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. We also find in this text that he works. The everlasting father is working for you and for me and he works all things together for those who love. I want you to know he's not done working on me yet. I hope he's not done working on you yet. I hope you're finding some places where you're going, man, I still need him to work out some stuff in my life that I just can't do without his help and his strength. In John chapter 5 verse 17, we read this. He answered them and he said, my father is working until now and I myself am working. So Jesus is working on your behalf. We also see in this text though that he also is one who approves. Everlasting father. In Jesus I find acceptance and approval. With the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he knew all about her sin but he befriended her anyway. The woman caught in adultery, John chapter 7, he said, neither do I condemn you. And about himself, about Christ Jesus, in John chapter 3, verse 7, he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came to approve us. And he's not waiting for me to, to perform for him. He doesn't, he doesn't withhold his love for me like some sort of trial period, like I hope you get this right, and when you do, then I'll begin to love you. I'm worthy of his love right now. 
and he loves me. Instead of that, he lavishes his love upon me, Scripture says, but, but I'm not so special. But he loves everything about us, and he calls us special. He lavishes his love on you and me. Your father, your earthly father, he may or may not have given you such a affirmation, but I want you to know you'll find it in an everlasting father. There's a bumper sticker that was said it this way. Maybe you had one of them. It said, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. You know, at one level, that sounds really prideful. But on another level, there's a lot of truth to it. See, God, the creator of the universe, was so crazy about you that he sent the very best in his only son in the form of a little baby to pay the penalty of your sins and make it possible for you to have a relationship with him. He loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. So when you say, God loves you, but I'm his favorite, I'm okay with that. You're his favorite. I'm his favorite. No, you say, well, I'm more his favorite. That's fine. That's another argument. But right now, he's still my, I'm still his favorite. But he also, in this text, we find out that he makes known that he loves you, and he wants to reveal himself to you. He doesn't want to be some distant God that you don't have a contact with. He wants to get near you. He wants to love you. He desires to be near you, and he opens up ways and makes known his plans. And as a little child can't understand all the ways of an earthly father, we cannot grasp how much the father wants to know us. And so he wants to reveal himself so that he can make things better with us. But then we also find out this last piece in this text, we find out that he protects us. And what's he protecting? He's protecting your soul. He's protecting the soul that you have. We sing it in this song at Christmas. God, rest, ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ your Savior was born on Christmas Day. Why? To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. You see, our souls need protecting. Good tidings of comfort and joy. Why is there comfort and joy? Because he protected my soul. He protected your soul. But then we come to another part of this, understanding our father. How's this father toward his children? Like, how does this interact with his children? First off, we find out that he's compassionate. And this word is a special Hebrew word, which means to pet or touch or treat as a precious child. Let me give you a description. Parent and grandchild, grandparents in the room, get this one in a big way. We do this moment where we stroke underneath the baby's chin and we make all kinds of funny sounds like we've never done this before, or we slightly pinch their cheeks, or the worst yet is we lift up their tiny feet, and what do we do? We start kissing them. Like, we would never do this at home, right? Hey, honey, okay, if I start kissing your feet, suck on your toes, I just love you so much. Like, oh. But we do this with children. This is the compassion that Jesus has for us as everlasting Father. He adores you so much, and in his tenderness, he's reaching out to you Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 says, A bruised reed it will not break, and a smoldering wick will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. I started thinking about a reed and a wick. Bruised reed, who cares? A wick on a candle? I don't pay much attention to that. When it comes to a candle, is it light? Is it going to set my house on fire? Does it smell any good? That's probably the most important one now. It's so funny. You go by the candle section now, and everybody's doing the whole, no, no. No, what's, oh, that one smells like that one. I start getting all those smells in my head, and I'm like, nothing smells different. They all start blending together. But I don't pay any attention to a wick. I certainly wouldn't pay attention to a bruised reed. But I want you to know that your compassionate, everlasting Father pays attention to you. You may feel like you're insignificant, like a reed or a wick on a candle, but I want you to know he pays attention to you. 
The Lord has compassion on you. I can't think, but think of my life as an example. Well, one small human being <laughs> in this huge, vast universe, yet Jesus in his love died for me. He called me and he saved me and he allows me to serve him. Hasn't he done the same thing for you? Indeed, Jesus is a compassionate Savior and an everlasting Father. What else does he give us as a Father? He gives us this gracious life. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he'll rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Now, the word gracious, I love the word gracious. A little different than grace. The word gracious means to stoop down. When we start talking about a baby coming to Bethlehem, this is God stooping down in graciousness and saying, I know who you are, and I've come for you. He stooped down to become one of us. He stooped down to dwell in a sinful world, even though he didn't have any sin. He stooped down to show grace by taking our stripes and absorbing our blows and accepting our nails and enduring what should have been our death. And he did so that all of us would have this eternal spot even when we didn't deserve it, but he extended and stooped down grace to us anyway. We also find that our Father is patient. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly glad that God is patient with me. He needs to be. Slow to anger. What if the blast of his anger were released in a moment? <laughs> At the first sign of any weakness, any rebellion that I had. He doesn't flare his nostrils at me. He doesn't go to me quickly and punish me, although he will. He punishes us to discipline us, not to hurt us, but to develop us, not to destroy us. He's a patient God toward every sinner. But then we find he's loving. How many times over the years have you asked your father for advice or wisdom? Can I just tell you in a loving respect how much I find myself crying more when my kids come and when they leave than ever before? This week we've had all the children home. And I find myself more at the door looking to see when they're going to come around the corner. And I'm outside in the driveway running next to the car. Don't go. Stay. Loving care for you. And yet we don't go to our fathers for all the wisdom all the time. Mark Twain said it this way about his wisdom advice. Mark Twain is awesome when it comes to the great things that he said. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant and I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. And it's kind of true. The old man had learned a lot in the seven years when I was being an idiot. Why do we go to our fathers? Because we know that they're going to give us trusted advice and counsel. They have our best interests in mind, and they love us deeply. And Jesus does that for you. He's proved it with his life and his death and his resurrection. And that's what makes Christmas merry. Anybody who says Merry Christmas to you, like we were kind of dialoguing, like, what do we do at Easter time? He's like, he is risen. He's risen indeed. We don't have anything for Merry Christmas. Why? Because Merry Christmas is a blessing. We're not saying it other than to say it in blessing. You've got to think of it like a blessing. So when you say this, you go... Merry Christmas. See, when you say it, it's, a, it's how you say it. It's like, if we just say it, when I say, hey, Merry Christmas, I'm blessing you. I want your Christmas to be merry. Why do I know it's merry? His death, his life, his death, his resurrection. Why is it merry? 
King of Kings has come. And that makes us merry because we have an everlasting relationship because of an everlasting father. We also have a life-giving father. God has entered into a covenant relationship with us. My marriage to Denise is, uh, I, maybe you said this words to, to your wife, your spouse, is what I said, till death do us part. But there's so much in that clause that is not in the covenant that God gave to us. I'd love to have a text out of Isaiah, but I don't. I'm going to have to go to Ezekiel for this one. Ezekiel 37, 26 to 28 says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will put them in my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Man, I want a God who gives that kind of life. And then we have this piece of everlasting. We've been talking around it. Everlasting, if I can say it this way, means permanent, fixed, can't change it, everlasting, perpetual, eternal, forever, without end. I remember all the friendships I've had over the years, and I've had some great friends growing up, and some of them I've been able to stay in contact with, and others I haven't seen in years. I miss those times, those friendships, and I'm sure many of them can relate. But I want to tell you something. The great thing about Jesus, the Messiah, your everlasting father, is that he never outgrows you. He never loses interest in you. He never drifts apart or loses his touch with you. He's always there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he's our everlasting father, his relationship with us is permanent. And all you got to do is call on him. And he's available. Isaiah 45, verse 17 says, but Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced in ages, in ages everlasting. So what changes in our life from being a child of a father on earth to a father in heaven who has everlasting qualities? What changes in this relationship? Well, I want you to know that the first thing that changes in you is how you pray, the way you pray. And Jesus even told us this, like he wants us to pray this way. I want you to pray, our Father. And it's in that moment that I say to myself, what right do I have to call him Father? Isn't Jesus the Son of God? He has the right to call him Father. But now he says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And when you pray, I want you to pray by saying, our Father. It includes us all. We all get to talk to this everlasting father now because he gave us permission to. John puts it this way. See the great love that he's lavished on us. What a privilege and what a gift it is to have grace. When you know that God, Father, changes the way you talk to God. It changes the way you pray. You learn to pray to a father in childlike boldness. And Jesus taught us how to pray. Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 7 through 11, I won't read, but it talks about how we need to ask how we need to seek, how we need to knock. We got to learn how to approach God in prayer with a vulnerable dependence. In pain, in fear, in doubt, in hardship, we learn to cry out to God with these words, Abba, Father, which is everlasting Father. New Testament version of it, but New Testament version nonetheless. Don't miss the example of Jesus in the garden when he, when he prays this way, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Not, not my will, but your will be done. He's speaking to him as his own father, and yet he calls us to be able to speak to him, and that means we pray differently. Another thing that changes with this father-son relationship that we have 
is our relationship with him. Our relationship turns from whatever we were before to an adoptive moment. Because of what Jesus has done for us, his life, his death, and his resurrection, he opens a way up for us to be adopted. Now, I can kind of speak to this subject a little bit because I understand what it's like to be an adoptive father. To be able to have children who, quite frankly, were not birthed from me, father of whoever, now my children. And they allow me to do that. They allow us to be able to be father and mother to them. And we have this forever family that we have because of papers that we signed, right? It's all legal. No, it's because we chose it. Because we decided. I don't care if the government says I'm allowed to or not. I'm adopting you because I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. There. And over the course of the time, over our time with our family this week, we've had family in and um, we were able to, to, to join together in a really sweet moment yesterday. Um, Junpei, who's a great friend of Marshall's, become a brother, a child to us. And I love the moment that we get to bring Junpei into our home. And through all the kind of rigmarole that's out there, we wanted Junpei to know that he has a forever family. From the very moment he first came, we gave him a key to our house and said, this is your home. You can have anything you want here. Yesterday, we settled the score and had a moment where we adopt him into our home, giving him a name, call him our son. And now we love him. The cool part about it wasn't led by dad. It was led by siblings. By siblings, one who's adopted and one who clearly said, look, I wasn't born into this family, but I want you to know these people will be here for you forever. We're here for you forever. And there's nothing you can do about that. I'm grateful to call Junpei my son today because the relationship has changed and I want you to know the same thing happens for every one of us who call on an everlasting father. God never changes his mind. He never decides to stop being your heavenly father. The one who's secured your adoption through his sacrifice in Christ Jesus lives to intercede for you and guarantees his bond of forever relationship with you. Did you know that God wants you in this relationship and that when you're part of God's family, you're in this forever family, the adoption is final and you are secured. Your adoption is guaranteed for all of eternity. Your everlasting father says to his child these timeless words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're mine, part of my forever family, and I've got you forever. But other things that we see about this father that changed for us is a one-of-a-kind son. We have a one-of-a-kind son. None of us have a right or the virtue by birth to call God our father. And yet Jesus, our everlasting father, says, you can call my dad your dad. What a tremendous gift that Jesus gave every one of us. For whatever father we might have, man, we have a dad who is our heavenly father, an eternal relationship that begins right now. I don't need to wait to die to have that relationship with them. And Eric, your family has said yes to this forever relationship, and it begins now. We're not waiting to die to have it. We get to have it now. A one-of-a-kind son, born, firstborn, now allows us to call his dad, our dad, what a cool relationship, a one-of-a-kind relationship by a one-of-a-kind son. But also what's changed is the word of God. The Bible has withstood attack and ridicule and criticism and all kinds of attempts to, to destroy it over the centuries. And despite these attempts to eradicate it, the Bible today is still the best-selling and most widely distributed book of all times. In the last 50 years, 3.9 billion copies of the Bible have been sold. 
It's not going to end. And if it's trapped in my heart, you're never taking it away, which is why we want to memorize it. Isaiah 40, 7 and 8 says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. And the grass withers and the flower falls because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. And then we have this next last change that happens to us, and that is your final status. Isaiah 51, verse 6 says this, lift your eyes to the heavens, look to the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation, my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. My righteousness will never fail. You get a change in your final status from the moment you ask him to save you and wash you clean from your past. It changes your status now, not when you die. I close with this story. Some of you have heard it before, but it is a great story. Leonard Sweet, in his book, wrote a book called Strong in the Broken Places. It relates a story of Mary Ann Bird. Sweet says that Mary Ann told this story in her own memoir entitled The Whisper Test. In her story, Mary Ann Bird writes this. She said, I grew up knowing I was different and hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a mishappened lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I didn't tell them. I told them that I'd fallen and gotten cut on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have been suffered by an accident than been born differently. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored. Her name was Mrs. Leonard. She was a short, round, happy, sparkling lady. Every year we had a hearing test, and Mrs. Leonard gave this test to everyone in the class, and one year I went last. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something that we would have to repeat back to her, things like, the sky is blue. Or, do you have new shoes? I waited there and listened and heard words that God must have put into her mouth. Seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. And those words changed Mary Ann's life. She was loved and that brought her out of her shell. She went on to be a teacher herself. And I want you to know that God loves you in the same way. As mishap as we are, as garbled speech as our life becomes, as many mistakes as we can infiltrate it with, He is still our everlasting Father. And we celebrate Him at Christmas time because we know what lasts in our life and we want it. And for those of us who feel like we don't deserve it, like we don't belong, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 reads, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Wow! That is a Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. 